I guess I met Tyler. I didn't remember. But Tyler and I used to attend this. Uh, I used to attend it really regularly, but I haven't probably in about a year. Uh, Misery Loves Company, reading series based on a, a a great a great. They call it transgressive writers, whatever the fuck that is. Anyway, so uh, <clears throat> I was surprised when Tyler contacted me because he wanted me to read. Uh, is actually an excerpt of a of an old personal essay that was published about 25 years ago in Cream City Review. And then uh, it was reprinted. The first time it was reprinted in in, in over 20 years in this uh, literary baseball magazine called Twin Twin Bill. It's really not indicative of the kind of writing I do. But since Tyler liked it so much, I figured I would I'd go ahead and do it. I'd go ahead and read. Okay, so this is called A Bronx Fall. It's been nearly 60 years, but I'll never forget my ninth birthday. It fell on a pleasant early autumn Sunday. Unlike previous years, there was no party or exuberant family celebration. In fact, my ninth birthday promised to be a rather bleak one. My father's terminal bout with cancer had reduced him to a stick figure who spent his time laying on the couch. His illness made a mockery out of the area of our fifth floor Bronx apartment that we called a living room. As I, my mother, and three sisters sliced into a hurriedly, hurriedly prepared birthday cake, my father's loud gasps for each breath in the living room adjacent to the kitchen festivities were a reminder of all that was wrong with the season. And what a season it had been. Our Belmont Avenue apartment was within walking distance of Yankee Stadium, where Mantle and Maris, is that how you say it? Mantle and Maris? The Eminem boys had once again led their team to another pennant. Just two days after my October 1st birthday, the New York Yankees were scheduled to meet the Cincinnati Reds in the World Series. The Yankees' march towards the American League pennant included a major league record for most home runs by a club. But it was hard for me to follow all the excitement that had lit up the Bronx during that 1961 baseball season due to close on my ninth birthday. Mantle and Maris. Maris and Mantle, those were the buzzwords that defined that summer. After eating cake and opening a few presents, I lifted up the kitchen window and pressed my face against the rusty grill where I scouted a peculiar sight five stories below. Strangely enough, none of the bigger kids, the guys in junior high, were playing stickball in the street. It was always a Sunday afternoon stickball game played on the Belmont Avenue street in front of my building. Yet on this beautiful Sunday afternoon, the street was deserted. I immediately called my best friend, Ralph Guerra, a recent refugee from Castro's Cuba, was able to corral a half dozen guys for a stickball game. I brought the spanking new pink Spalding ball that my twin sister Kathy had given me as a birthday gift, while another friend, Victor Elias, brought his impressive looking stickball bat, a former mop stick that was handsomely wrapped with electrical tape at the handle to offer up a superior grip. We, we grade school kids charged into the street and quickly took up our positions. Every moment was filled with apprehension and fear. Fear that the bigger, meaner kids would suddenly appear and implement their ritual threat. Implement their ritual threat to shove our stick bill bat up. Uh, where the sun don't shine if we did not immediately vacate their street. Because the ball belonged to me, I declared myself the pitcher. Stickball pitchers did not require any special skills to play that position. A strong, accurate arm was unimportant when you had to have the ball reach home plate on a bounce. The most dangerous positions were catcher and batter because they were the only players in the street whose backs were to the traffic. Oh. Their safety, indeed, their very lives, 
was often dependent on the pitcher and infielders signaling at them to move away from fast approaching cars, trucks, and the occasional motorcycle. Sunday afternoon traffic was always light on Belmont Avenue, and that was why it was such an unusual gift to have the field free on my birthday. I was not a very good ball player. Small for my age, I loved to play, but was never invited to join in with the older kids who dominated the street, unlike some of my bigger and stronger fourth grade friends. Shut out of neighborhood games, I lacked the repetitive, competitive exposure every athlete needs in order to improve their performance. And so when my turn came to hit, I struck out. On Ra Ralphie's first at bat, he blasted a home run that flew past two sewer covers and came to a rolling stop just short of Tremont Avenue. On my second trip to the plate, I truly became one with the powerhouse Yankees playing their final regular season game just blocks away. I want to set the record straight. That day, a third M was added to those Bronx Eminem boys of fall 61, Maris, Mantle, and Mark. I don't remember much about the pitch I hit, but I do remember that I did not get a solid whack at that bouncing Spalding. Spalding, right? Like not Spalding, okay. Fearing that I would once again strike out, I choked up on the decorative mop stick and, and stuck the bat out without really swinging it, not on like a bunting motion, to increase my chances of making contact. I was barely able to get a piece of the ball to tap the end of the stick. As the ball dribbled weakly towards the first baseman, I threw down the bat and sprinted toward the green 57 Chevy that had been designated as first base. And that's when I heard it the roar of many voices from the many heads that had popped out from the many tenement windows, showering down encouragement to me, an insecure nine-year-old hustling to leg out a lazy ground ball into a base hit. I had never performed in front of an audience before, and I'll never forget the adrenaline rush that accompanied my race to that parked car. And as I ran, I was amazed that my feeble grounder could inspire such an outpouring of excitement and emotion. I sped down the street determined to reach base safely all the while wondering how many of my neighbors knew that it was my birthday and if they were cheering so loudly for me so that my withering father sprawled out on the living couch could hear him could hear him with my outstretched hands groping for that green chevy i made it to first base without even the attempt of a tag hector my first baseman must have been distracted by the shouting tenement bases because he bobbled my easy grounder I saw the ball roll to his right as I crashed triumphantly into the car. I closed my eyes. I closed my eyes and hugged the Chevy for what must have been a few seconds, although it felt like minutes. And with a huge grin, losing myself in the praise showering down on me, I forgot all about my dying father and crying mother and disappointing birthday celebration. I was a Bronx baseball hero, just like Mickey Mantle and Roger Merritt. When I opened my eyes, I saw Hector, Victor, Ralphie, and the other guys jumping up and down, slapping each other on the back and screaming out, he did it, he did it, Maris hit 61. The joy and warmth I felt from my neighbors immediately vanished as I realized that their excited shouts won for me, but the shattering of Babe Ruth's major league home run record just 18 blocks away by one of the M&M boys. I lowered my head, what was I thinking? Surprised and humiliated, I was grateful no one else in the block had any inkling of my foolish fantasy. Whenever I heard the name Roger Maris mentioned in later years, it usually made me anxious, and I would immediately resurrect the embarrassment I felt on that Sunday, October afternoon. 
But as I watched Mark McGuire break Roger Maris's home run record on September 8th, 1998, and saw Sammy Sosa hug him, I remembered the precious few seconds of glory 37 years earlier when I became one with the Eminem boys and heard those autumn cheers that made me feel proud and strong and gave me a respite from the rapidly approaching Bronx winter that would leave my heart as empty as my living couch. Oh. All right. Before. That really hit home for Let me. me just say, you read that beautifully. That was, you did, thank you. That was such a beautiful reading. I've never heard it. that read before. I've never read it before. I've never heard it read before. What? Uh, I mean, I like the, I think those devil horns helped, you know? Thank you. Was, um, a, yeah, the visual was really helped. Thank you so much. This was, this was such a great piece. And like, it, it's, it hits home for me too. Cause uh, like when I was nine, one of my parents had, terminal cancer and wow. like i would have loved and i would have loved to go out and play sports but i think i just stayed inside and read but this was this was beautiful this really captures like you know the things you do to not think about that like i was totally in that whole other world wow i'm, I'm, what a sorry, fantastic I'm job. sorry you experienced that but i'm sure that's it's a it's okay it's i wouldn't my, want my mom no, to it, read my writing anyway yeah but it's i think it's also it's probably uh one of the reasons why you became an artist absolutely i don't want absolutely. to yes, be forgotten yes. <laughs> are you really on october 1st birthday yeah yeah <laughs> wow what a treat thank you so much uh, it's a holiday and i'm getting the gifts wonderful i'm 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 I remember those precious few seconds of glory 37 years earlier when I became one with the M&M boys and heard those autumn cheers that made me feel proud and strong and gave me a respite from the rapidly approaching Bronx winter that would leave my heart as empty as my living room couch. All right, thanks.